In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. For the one and only, Ian Wright. Nobody loves scoring more than this man, Ian Wright. Put your testicles in the sea gap. And no one worked harder than Ian Wright. But then again, it's not often you have to compete with the likes of Ian Wright. It's Wright's territory. He is the governor in these parts. This is Ian Wright, and you can guess the rest. Hello, NFL fans. We are back for the second part of our NFL divisional breakdown. Um, if you didn't get a chance, check out the one we put out earlier today on the NFC East. Following that up, we're going to move over to the AFC East. You know, one of the probably more interesting divisions in all of football. You know, obviously there's kind of the big elephant in the room about who's no longer in the division that's pretty much been in that division for damn near 20 years now. So the division's going to look a whole lot different come the 2020-2021 season. You know, let's start off in the NFC, or I'm sorry, in the AFC East with the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott has been, you know, doing a really good job kind of turning around the Buffalo Bills, coming off a 10-6 and six season last year. Fortunately, you know, they did lose in the wild card game to Houston, you know, but they had a pretty darn good showing. So the Buffalo Bills are kind of a team, you know, that may not be the flashiest on paper. Man, when it comes to, be on the, when it comes to them being on the field, they're just a tough team to play very physical, do not give up a lot of points. You know, they were second in the NFL last year in points allowed. You're talking about a team that just doesn't give away points, but at times could struggle to put the ball in the end zone. This is a team that finished 23rd in the league in points scored, pretty much middle of the pack with most statistical categories. You know, so if you don't remember right what we're going to do is we're going to go team by team, kind of letting you know a little bit about the team, where they were last year, the big moves that they made in the offseason, and, you know, kind of potentially where they could be looking like in the draft. So, you know, when you take a look at the Bills, how are they going to address, you know, kind of some of the, the voids in their, you know, in their team, whether it's both defensively and offensively. Ironically enough, for a team that didn't score a lot of points, the, the biggest move they made was going out and acquiring wide receiver Stephon Diggs from the Minnesota Vikings. They did give up their first-round pick. And, you know, so they see a lot of things in Stephon Diggs. They tried to go out and get Antonio Brown. So clearly Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean wanted to go out and say, hey, we need a playmaker. You know, Josh Allen has a bazooka on his arm, but sometimes it's not the most accurate ball that he throws. So it's one of those things where they went out, they go get Stephon Diggs. And on the offensive side of the ball, really the only other piece that they added was a guard, Daryl Williams. They struggled a little bit up the middle. You know, their interior last year, Quentin Spain, you know, Mitch Morris, who they kind of went out to think was going to be uh, a lockdown at the center position. You know, they had to use Evan Bame for a while. Uh, John Feliciano there in the middle, pretty much middle of the pack performance-wise. Unfortunately, the rookie Cody Ford out of Oklahoma struggled out there on the right side. So that's just one of the things that the Bills have to look at. But, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, like I said, only adding Daryl Williams and Stephon Diggs. Ironically enough, second-ranked uh, defense in terms of points allowed went out and added significantly more pieces on the defensive side of the ball. So they went out and grabbed Quentin Jefferson from the Seattle sea uh, Seahawks really to kind of maybe partner him with, you know, that Ed Oliver star, Latulalele, pack there in the middle. They also went out and added Vernon Butler, uh, another D tackle. Uh, they went out and got Josh Norman. Maybe he's on the downside of his career, but 
you know, still maybe has a little bit of gas left in the tank and can help them out from the cornerback position. Uh, they went out and added weak side linebacker A.J. Klein from the Saints. You know, these were guys I think they bought low on. You know, you didn't really see a ton of money spent on additions. It's just one of those things where they were able to keep their own. You know, they were able to keep Jordan Poyer. They were able to keep Tyler Croft. Um, you know, like I said, they re-signed Starla Tulalele. So they wanted to kind of keep some of the big pieces together because at the end of the day, they did lose a couple guys. You know, Shaq Lawson, their outside uh, rusher, went off to the Dolphins. Uh, Kevin Johnson, their slot corner, went off to the Browns. And then they lost in the middle. Uh, Jordan Phillips, who was the big boy, went off to the Cardinals. So they had to fill a little bit of a gap there. You know, they got, went out and got Tyler Matikevich to really kind of anchor down the special teams unit. It'll be interesting to see what they do now with the void with their counterparts over in New England. So, you know, they do have $20.9 million in cap space. They did lose out on that first round pick with Stefan Diggs, you know, which gives them seven picks in this draft. Um, so they're going to be looking to kind of address some things, maybe a little bit more of those day two, day three needs. The Buffalo Bills are going to be a unique team. So the question is, is, you know, where do they have holes? Where do they have needs? And when you look at a team like Buffalo, they could always use an extra edge rusher. Um, I do think O-line is going to be an area that they look at. A lot of these, you know, developmental tackles could be on the board there. Their first pick will be at number 54. Also, you know, a wide receiver to complement Stephon Diggs. You know, on the other side, they do have John Brown, who's really able to stretch the field. Um, He's not always the most reliable guy. They did get a little production out of their slot receiver, Cole Beasley. They also have a Isaiah McKenzie. So probably not one of their top needs. But given the depth of this draft, I could definitely see them maybe in the, one of their extra, you know, day two, day three picks going with a wide receiver. Um, they also, I would say to, they need a compliment to Devin Singletary. You know, Devin Singletary was kind of a bruiser type of back. They do have TJ Yeldon, who, you know, he looks to be kind of maybe on the downside of his career. He had a pretty, you know, down year for him. And then they do have a guy, Taiwan Jones, you know, originally from the Raiders. He really more contributed on the special team side of the ball. You know, there's just a couple of needs out there for the Bills. For them, it's going to be sitting on their hands for day one, you know, really waiting to see what falls to them there on day two because, you know, they're not going to have a top 50 player without making some sort of a trade. So, you know, the Bills, they really need to build off Josh Allen. He's going to be going into his third year. He's always compared to Baker Mayfield. He's always compared to Sam Darnold. Guy can throw it 75 yards, but, you know, sometimes can get a little erratic with the cannon. So the Bills are definitely a team to watch. I think they're probably going to be the prohibitive favorite in the AFC East, but you never know. I mean, you could have a surprise team like Miami or New England. Can you ever really count them out? Or even the Jets, who seem to be kind of turning the corner. So the Bills will definitely be, you know, a step in the right direction for them. Sean Dermott's a pretty fantastic coach, so you could definitely see them getting everybody back in line. The second team we'll talk about in the division, a team that really, when you look at it on paper now, you really don't even recognize it from the years prior. I'm talking about the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick is going to have, you know, a really, really big challenge this year, replacing the greatest quarterback in our generation uh, in terms of championships. Tom Brady obviously leaves the New England Patriots, heads down south to Tampa Bay. The New England Patriots came off a good year last year, you know, but the thing is, is how much of these stats can we really look at? Yes, they were 12 and four. Yes, they were the leading team defensively, which is Bill Belichick's specialty. So, you know, if they're going to turn things around 
and maintain their era of dominance in the 2020 season, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. If we remember right, New England really shot out of the gate and dominated opponents in the beginning half of the season on the defensive side of the ball. They did muster up the seventh most points in the NFL. This was a team with a high-powered offense, despite the fact that they don't have all that many playmakers. The, the New England Patriots, the world revolved around Tom Brady, and now he's not there. When it talks about how do you fill those shoes, that's a great question. I don't think there's really any possible way to do it, especially with the quarterbacks they have on the roster. Are they going to go with Jarrett Stidham? That would be a very unique decision by Belichick, considering you remember right in the 2019 season, Belichick put him in the game. I believe he threw a pick six against the Jets on his first or second pass. And Belichick said, enough of that. They put Tom Brady right back in the game. So Jared Stidham is probably on a very short leash, if any leash at all. You know, the Bill or the Patriots did go out and sign Brian Hoyer, who is very familiar with the New England offense, was with the Colts, with the Texans, with the Browns, has pretty much been all over the league. He's back in New England. Offensively, what did they do? Who did they add? Um, they went out and got Demary Bird, a wide receiver. I, I don't know how much of an impact he's going to make. He came over from the Cardinals, pretty low, low-end contract. You know, he can go with Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Myers. You know, they still do have Julian Edelman and Mohamed Sanu. But in terms of playmakers, the New, England run, uh, the New England running backs are really the bread and butter of the team. You know, you have Sonny Michelle, you have James Waite. All of these fantasy guys that people know about because you never really know who is going to get the ball. Is it going to be Sonny Michelle? Is it going to be James White? Heck, let's throw a little Brandon Bolden in here. And, oh, let's not forget about sexy Rexy Burkhead. That's always an option. And they do have the guy out of Alabama, Damian Harris, who is widely known coming out uh, of Alabama's very good as pass catching back, tough to tackle in the open field. So New England has a plethora of running backs on their roster. They did add Dan Vitale, the fullback out of Northwestern. James Devlin had a little bit of a neck issue last year, so you almost wonder if his career may be coming to a close. New England does love to run, you know, with that fullback in front of the tailback. So they bring in Danny Vitale. They have a lot of pieces to replace. They were able to uh, retain Devin McCourty. They were able to retain Matthew Slater, their special teams ace. They franchise tag Joe Thune, the, you know, the left guard, who his name has been out there a lot. Shalik Calhoun's another guy they kept. Um, but for the most part, if you were a New England Patriots player and you were looking to get paid, you either could go to the Lions or the Dolphins. You know, they lost Landon Roberts, the inside linebacker. They lost their center, uh, Ted Karras, uh, the Dolphins. Then you look in the uh, Lions came in. They said, we're going to poach your outside linebacker, Jamie Collins. We're going to poach your nose tackle, Danny Shelton. We're going to poach your safety, Durant Harmon. You know, the Dolphins also said, hey, Kyle Van Noy, why don't you come on down here to South Florida and play a little bit here. You have all of these changes going on, and that doesn't even include Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers. That doesn't even include Philip Dorsett going to the Seahawks or the guy who's locked down their special teams for damn near a decade, Nate Ebner. So Nate Ebner's leaving. Luckily, you know, keeping Matt Slater is really going to help them out. But for the most part, they have a lot of holes they need to fill. It's one of those things where, you never can count out Bill Belichick and his ability to do something. And you say, well, they had all these guys going out. The other issue they have, they're carrying $25.9 million in dead cap. They have very little cap space to work with. And they still have 
12 draft picks because as we know, New England is the quintessential program when it comes to compensatory draft picks. New England has 12 picks this year. They have three third rounders, no seconds, but they do have three thirds and they have four sixth rounders. They're going to have the opportunity to fill a lot of these holes because, you know, defensively, Patrick Chung's going to have to step up. He had a down year last year. They really don't have a free safety that someone's going to write home about, you know, losing Deron Harmon. In that middle linebacker role, they also, you know, they have Dante Hightower, but the other one, they brought in Brandon Copeland from the Jets. He, you know, he's a stretch. Jawan Bentley's a guy that played a lot last year, but outside of that, a lot of unproven guys. Even on the outside, they, you know, they're relying strongly on the veteran Jason McCourty. The other side's locked down. I mean, you've got Stephon Gilmore on the one side. So it's one of those things where Bill Belichick is going to have to do one of his finest coach, coaching jobs, getting this team back to the perennial powerhouse that it is because they just don't have a lot of money. They have a ton of draft picks and they have a ton of needs. You know, they still do have David Andrews. Hopefully they maybe can come in and lock down the center. He's battled injuries. So you're not really hundred percent sure where they're going to go. Their kicking situation. You know, they've already opted to not bring in, uh, bring back Steven Gostkowski. Nick Folk really didn't get it done last year. So there's just kind of question marks all over the roster when it comes to new England. So it'll be something we definitely need to take a look at the sleeper move that I do like out of the, uh, the new England Patriots. They brought in a safety Adrian Phillips from the chargers. He, you know, he's 28 years old, had a very quiet year last year, but was very, very efficient in what he was doing. I think you take a player like that and give him to bill Belichick. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a very high uptick in production from Adrian Phillips. So we start looking at the draft needs. New England's picking 23rd. They have needs really all over the map. The number one need is quarterback. Jared Stidham, Brian Hoyer. Now, are there a lot of free agents out there? You've got Jameis Winston. You've got Cam Newton. You've got, you know, the potential maybe that Cincinnati would part with Andy Dalton. So you have a lot of opportunities for them to get somebody to fill. But as of right now, they don't really have a starting NFL caliber quarterback on the roster Yes, Brian, Herb, uh, Brian Hoyer has, over the years, proven to be a okay backup. You know, he'll win you a couple of games, but he'll lose you some by throwing five interceptions. So, other than quarterback, they could always use another playmaker. I know that they went wide receiver last year with Nikhil Harry. Their tight end situation is pretty bleak. You know, when you lose a guy like Rob Gronkowski and you try to fill it with the likes of Matt Lacoste or Ryan Izzo, it, it, it's going to show. So the question is, is do they look with one of those third round picks, maybe going with a tight end? You also have their need. They lost Kyle Van Oy. Is Shalit Calhoun going to be able to step up and be the edge rusher they need? You know, over the last two years, they've just been depleted, you know, from their players. And that has been the staple of the New England Patriots. We're not going to re-sign guys. Hey, Jamie Collins, come on back, get a little bit of a contract, prove yourself again. And now he's over in Detroit and got a, you know, a big hefty deal from them. So defensively, they have other falls. They know they lost out on Danny Shelton. So the question then becomes, who's going to be that big run stuffer up the middle? They bring in Bo Allen, um, who's, you know, a big nose tackle from Tampa Bay. He had a very productive season last year. Um, so he should be able to help them a little bit. They still do have Lawrence Guy, Dietrich Weiss. On the outside, they're going to have John Simon, the former Ohio State Buckeye, and Chase Vinovich, you know, the former Michigan Wolverine. 
So the question will be, what can Bill Belichick do with this kind of smorgasbord of players? Because they have a lot of work to do and a lot of holes to fill. But luckily for them, they do have 12 draft picks to do it. So, you know, look for them to maybe go quarterback in the first round. Could a guy like Jordan Love, could a guy like Justin Herbert maybe slide to them down there? Would they address that in free agency? Could they also go with a linebacker or safety? This is the first time I think in a long time New England just has some sizable holes to fill, and we're not 100% sure how they're going to fill them. Now we're going to move on to a team that I think is really going to surprise a lot of people. You know, they took former Patriots defensive coordinator Brian Flores. They, you know, he signed down in Miami. The Dolphins are a team, again, like the Patriots, you know, a lot of those stats that were overinflated from last year, the Dolphins are kind of the opposite. They finished last year 5-11. and 11. They mustered up the 25th most points in the league scored and allowed a league-worst 494 points in the entire season. So how do you fix these holes? You know, how do you go ahead and find out? You go out and get a lot of free agents. You need a lot of guys to fill those needs. And you have $22.7 million in cap space still available. You know, let's talk about some of the guys that they brought in. On the defensive side of the ball, they went out and signed Byron Jones, you know, from the Cowboys to a very big deal. And he goes opposite of Xavier Howard, who's also on a big deal. So you've got two of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league on the same defense. The question is, how well will they be able to play off of each other? But that was the big signing there on defense. Then they went over and said, hey, Buffalo, we'll take Shaq Lawson. Hey, New England. We'll take Kyle Van Oy. We'll take Landon Roberts. They also went down and got to Kansas City, and they said, hey, Emmanuel Ogba, why don't you come on down to South Florida? They also added Camu Gergel from the Eagles and Clayton Fejolum from the Bengals. So you're talking about a team that added six potential starters to a team that was worse in the league in defense. Now, those guys are going to be coming in. Like I said, they already had Xavier Howard there. Davin Gottachow from LSU. He's going to be there in the middle to add. They also have former first-round picks, Christian Wilkins and Taco Charlton. Those are guys that are going to be coming off that edge. It's really kind of tough to see what Brian Flores is going to do. He went out and got Chan Gailey to be his offensive coordinator this year. So Chris Gurrier and the guys, they've got a lot of decisions because they have a lot of draft picks. So they've got a They've got a need at secondary, and on the offensive side of the ball, they went out and they addressed a little bit of an issue they had, and that was on the interior offensive line. You know, they brought in Eric Flowers from Washington. They brought in Ted Karras from the New England Patriots. They went and signed Jordan Howard, the running back from the Eagles, and said, hey, add it to Devontae Parker, add it to Mike Gesicki. What are they going to do at quarterback? Ryan Fitzpatrick played pretty well last year. You know, he ended up you know, with a 76 and a half rating from PFF. And you cannot really look aside a team that was projected to go 0 and 16, finished 5 and 11. That's pretty damn impressive. All while stockpiling draft picks. The Dolphins by far have more picks. They almost have two drafts in one. The Miami Dolphins have 13 draft picks. They have three in the first round, two in the second round, three in the fifth round, and three in the seventh round. This is a team in Miami that is going to have to go out there and figure out what needs they want to fill because they have the number five pick, they have the number 18 pick, and they have the number 26 pick from the Laramie Tunsil trade. So 
The Dolphins have money, have draft picks, but they have a lot of holes. Quarterback being the number one, are they going to make a move for Tua? Are they going to make a move for Justin Herbert? What are they going to do with their top five pick? There's some thought out there that they may address the offensive line and say, hey, we've got, our, we've got a chance to get our hands on a Mekhi Becton, an Andrew Thomas, heck, even a Jedrick Wills. You know, these are guys that all will be sitting there for the Dolphins at five because realistically, possibly Jeffrey Okudo will go three to the Lions, but they don't need a corner. They've got two of the highest priced corners in the league. So Jeffrey Okuda is not on their board. They also need a free safety. There's not really a safety that's going to be in this first round uh, mix. They need interior O-line. Unfortunately, that's one of the weakest you know, groups in this draft. So why not another wide receiver? Could they go wide receiver at five? Could they go wide receiver at 18? Heck, they could even wait and maybe get one at 26. These are all possibilities for Miami. They really have the world is the oyster when it comes to the Dolphins. And they also, they have enough ammo and tools to move around the draft. If they want to package 18 and five to move up to two, who knows? They have that ability. If they want to take 26, if they want to move up from 18, all of these things are possible. So the Miami Dolphins are going to be one of the more interesting teams in this year's draft because they have so much ammo. I mean, realistically, they are going to add, if they stay put where they're at, they're going to add four players out of the top 39 in the, in the draft. So four out of 40. So 10% of the first round draft picks are going to go to the Miami Dolphins. That is just crazy. It's very Cleveland Browns-esque from a couple years ago when I believe the Browns had three first round picks. This is a team in the Dolphins that just has so many possibilities. Unfortunately, a lot of holes to fill. They tried filling them a lot in free agency. And now they can complement that with the draft. Last but not least, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 the New York Jets. Adam Gase and company, Joe Douglas and company. This is a team coming off of a seven and nine record where at times when you watch them play, they looked more about a four and 12 three and 13 type of team, but they did end up mustering out seven uh, wins last year, which is quite impressive. The defense at times played really well. And at times the offense struggled. You know, this was a team that struggled to put up points. Sam Darnold, unfortunately missed a couple weeks there in the middle of the season. Unfortunately, I think the backup got hurt pretty quickly there on after. So the jets were kind of a mess at quarterback for several games, finished the season strong. However, mustered up the second worst points scored in the league while allowing kind of middle of the pack. And to be honest, that's kind of Greg Williams' MO. He likes to create pressure. You know, his big thing is turnovers. I think we've seen him a couple times on hard knocks, so we know what type of coach he is. The New York football Jets, we're talking about a team that has a lot of good talent, but decided they were going to go out and play a little bit in the free agents market. So the question is, they've lo- they ended up losing one of their big receivers in Robbie Anderson. They lost one of their corners, Daryl Roberts. And it was one of those things where they said, all right, how are we going to fill some of these guys? They lost Brandon Copeland to the Patriots. Maurice Kennedy, the corner, went to the Cowboys. 
Also, Brandon Shell, their right tackle, goes to the Seahawks, who are constantly a revolving door for offensive linemen. So what do they do? They go ahead and they add some pieces. They go out and get Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Rashad Perriman. They go out and say, hey, Phil, or Seattle, if you're going to take one of our guys, we're going to take one of your guys. George Fant, come on down. So they go out, they bring in George Fant to play tackle there. They had a need at offensive line. So they said, you know what, George Fant, we're not quite done there. They go get Greg Van Roten, the guy from Carolina. They get Connor McGovern. They get Josh Andrews. They really feel that if they just load up that talent in the middle of the offensive line, that hopefully these guys can figure it out because they need to do something to help protect Sam Darnold. A lot of times you saw last year, he was running for his life. He was dumping it off when he could to Le'Veon Bell. But the question is, is Le'Veon Bell's getting up there in age. They don't have a lot of depth at running back. They don't have a lot of playmakers out there on the outside. Quincy Inua is kind of was a good story for a little while. He's battled injuries. Jamison Crowder, who was probably their most effective wide receiver coming out of the slot. They go out and they found a reclamation project in Josh Doxson. And they said, hey, you know, maybe we can revive part of the former first round uh, first round pick there and they go out and get the, the tight end from the Texans Ryan Griffin so the Jets did make a few moves on offense defensively a few less holes to fill they get very strong play out of their safeties Marcus May and Jamal Adams are you know probably one of the better combos of safeties in the league they go out and they grab Pierre Desir the corner from the Colts they went out and grabbed Patrick Awanasor, the linebacker from the Ravens they have a pretty fully loaded up team on defense you know if you look across the board they've got Quinn and Williams the former first round pick they've got Steve McClendon the nose tackle who played really well last year they also have a guy that not a lot of people know about and that's Fola Runsu Fatakusiasi I believe is Fatu, Fatukasi that's it um, and then Henry Anderson on the outside as well so they've got a lot of guys on that D-line that play pretty well Outside on the corners is where they kind of struggle. And then also at linebacker last year, after C.J. Mosley went down, it was pretty much slim pickings after there. Both uh, Avery Williamson also was out last year. Blake Cashman didn't have a great year. Um, and then James Burgess, the guy they brought over from the Browns, stepped in. But the Jets do have a definite need at linebacker. They definitely have a definite need at the wide receiver position and offensive line. So when you look at the Jets – the Jets have eight picks this year in the draft. They also have $18.8 million in cap space. They have an extra third-round pick and an extra sixth-round pick. So we start looking at the Jets in terms of what they could possibly do in the draft, and we say, okay, they are sitting one pick behind the Cleveland Browns, who we all know need an offensive tackle. They also are sitting picks in front of both the Raiders, the Niners, and the Broncos, all who need wide receivers. The Jets have the opportunity to say, okay, if one of these offensive linemen fall to us, we have the opportunity to take one there. Or we can go out and take whoever either the first or second ranked wide receiver on our board is. The Jets will be an interesting team on draft day because teams like Denver, teams like the Eagles, all of these teams may want to get up ahead of the Jets, especially if, say, Cleveland's on the board at 10 and no wide receivers are off. Could the Browns feasibly trade back, allowing somebody to come up and take whoever the number one wide receiver is? It's a definite possibility. But the Jets are kind of that team. They're going to need another edge rusher. Trust me, Greg Williams wants all of the pass rushes he can get. He believes in blitzing. He believes in blitzing. And he believes in pressure. So 
take that for what it is, but he also needs guys that can cover because the one thing that leaves him exposed sometimes is if you blitz and you send everybody and they don't get home, your corners are out on an island. So could they look at maybe going with one of the cornerbacks in that position? You know, a lot of people have talked about C.J. Henderson and he's going higher. Could that be a place where the Jets say, hey, we need to bring in another cornerback? I know they brought in Pierre Desir. However, Pierre Desir, Brian Poole, you know, Arthur Mollett and Blasson Austin, you're not exactly looking at the most dynamic cornerbacks. So the Jets have a lot of options out there. Which way they're going to go really is kind of probably depend on how the draft unfolds. So the Jets are definitely going to be a team to look at on draft night and see what they do. Thank you so much for jo uh, joining us for the AFC East. I'll make sure to keep coming out with these division by division breakdowns. If you have any questions, feel free to tweet them at me at Ian19 on Twitter. Uh, we'll be following up with the West divisions tomorrow. We got both the AFC West and the NFC West. Um, so those are two really interesting divisions. So keep it locked on, subscribe, and uh, let us know what you think. Ready, break. Suddenly counting Benjamin.